It's Monday, December 2nd. I'm Martine Powers. This is an impeachment inquiry update from Post Reports. Many Republicans would have you believe that the Ukraine investigation is a whole new thing, a a new thing that the Democrats have come up with now that the Mueller investigation failed. Public hearings are the culmination of three years of incessant Democrat efforts to find a crime to impeach the president. Mueller spent two years and millions of taxpayer dollars seeking evidence of a crime that we know wasn't committed. Mueller's failure failure was a devastating blow to Democrats who clearly hoped his work to be the basis for the removal of the president. And I think a lot of members of the public might think there are two separate things, too, that, you know, this is a president who's been played by scandal, that he had the Mueller uh, investigation, and now that that's over, we have something new. But the reality is, they're really all the same thing. I'm Rosalind Helderman. I'm an investigative reporter for the National Political Staff. What we're seeing now with Ukraine grew organically and seamlessly out of the Mueller investigation. And you don't have to trust me. The person who really says this most loudly is Rudy Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani joins us by phone for the program today. The president's personal attorney. Mr. Giuliani, how are you, sir? I'm really good, Glenn. How are you? I'm good. I'm good who has spent quite a lot of his very frequent media appearances talking about how he started working on Ukraine because he saw it as a way to defend President Trump against the Mueller investigation. So I knew they were hot and heavy on this Russian collusion thing, even though I knew 100 percent it was false. So... Rudy Giuliani has actually said this publicly? Yeah, repeatedly. He talks all about how uh, he started meeting with these prosecutors, not to try to help President Trump's 2020 reelection effort, which gets a lot of discussion these days, but as a defense attorney trying to defend Trump against Mueller. I said to myself, hallelujah, I now have what a defense lawyer always wants. I can go prove somebody else committed this crime. He talks about how he first got wind of this Ukraine idea in November of 2018 and how that was, in his words, a very important moment for the Mueller investigation. You know, you got to kind of put yourself back in the mindset of a year ago. At that time, no one knew what Mueller was going to find. He was about to indict Roger Stone. He had Paul Manafort cooperating, uh, and he was really pressing him to explain why he was interacting with Russians during the campaign. And Rudy Giuliani says that he came up with this legal defense. Hallelujah, he says. I can prove someone else did it. And the someone else is the Ukrainians, and the did it is interfering in the 2016 election. So when I got this evidence about Ukrainian collusion, in which they mentioned that Joe Biden was involved in developing some of the collusion, I jumped on it. And I started to find people in Ukraine that were willing to come over and to talk to me about it. How, in the middle of the Russia investigation, did Giuliani come up with this idea specifically about Ukraine, that it wasn't Russia that was interfering in the election, that it was actually Ukrainians? 
Well, Giuliani has said that he was approached by an investigator in November 2018 who proposed this idea that it all was coming out of Ukraine, that people in Ukraine were trying to set up Paul Manafort uh, in 2016 when they uh, started talking about what he'd been doing as a political consultant in that country. And that's why Paul Manafort ultimately was fired from the Trump campaign. And then there are these sort of offshoots, including this theory that uh, – President Trump actually said on the telephone to the Ukrainian president in July about CrowdStrike, the company that was hired by the Democratic National Committee to look into the hack, which was the first company that said that they believed that Russian operatives were behind it. The CrowdStrike thing, we hear it coming up over and over again during impeachment hearings. We've heard the president talk about it. And honestly, I still remain confused as to what the CrowdStrike conspiracy theory is all about. Well, it's really confusing because it's so uh, uh, not based in fact. It's very interesting. They have the server, right, from the DNC, Democratic National Committee. Who has the server? The FBI went in and they told him, get out of here. You're not kidding. We're not giving it to you. They gave the server to CrowdStrike or whatever it's called, which which is a company owned by a very wealthy Ukrainian. So let me first tell you, like, what CrowdStrike actually is. Uh, it's an American company. It was founded by a guy who was born in Russia and another guy who was born in the U.S. And it was hired by the Democratic National Committee in the spring of 2016 when they suspected that their servers had been hacked to look into what had gone on. So it's kind of like a cybersecurity it's firm. It's a cybersecurity firm, exactly. And it was the first company that, uh, based on its forensic analysis, came out with uh, Uh, the finding that they believed that the DNC had been hacked by Russian operatives. Uh, Their work has been fully reviewed by the U.S. government. That is also the finding of the U.S. government. Uh, The Democratic Party servers were hacked by Russian operatives. There are 12 Russian military intelligence officers who have been indicted uh, for actually participating in that hack. That's what our government has said happened. The conspiracy theory is that somehow CrowdStrike is actually a Ukrainian company, that the guy who was born in Russia was actually born in Ukraine, that all the analysis they did was somehow faked and was intended to, like, frame Russia for what Ukraine had actually done, and that they actually sent the server itself, uh, the Democratic Party server, to Ukraine so that somewhere it's still there and could be recovered and would prove that Russia didn't hack the DNC. And I still want to see that server. You know, the FBI has never gotten that server. That's a big part of this whole thing. Why did they give it to a Ukrainian company? Are you sure they did that? Are you sure they gave it to Ukraine? Well, that's what the word is. This is ridiculous. It is just ridiculous. And in fact, the president, um, we know, uh, was told by his own staff that it was ridiculous. At this point, I am deeply frustrated with what he and the legal team is doing and repeating that debunked theory to the president. Tom Bossert, the former Homeland Security advisor, has said in interviews that it's completely debunked and that it was frustrating to him as an official because It sticks in his mind when he hears it over and over again. And for clarity here, George, let me just again repeat that it has no validity. And that in the heat of the Russia investigation, 
Rudy Giuliani turns to this and he's like, aha, this is the thing that we should be paying attention to. This and other variations of the sort of theory that Ukraine in some way interfered, that they tried to take down Paul Manafort to hurt Donald Trump, that people in the Ukrainian embassy in Washington fed information about Paul Manafort to the DNC. There's various versions of this, but when you get to the heart of it, it always comes down to sort of a defense through distraction. The idea is that, you know, you think think that Russia interfered to help Trump. Actually, it was Russia's foe, Ukraine, and they interfered to help Hillary. And through this process, this is how Giuliani comes to believe that it's not just the CrowdStrike conspiracy theory that is worth being looked at more, but also general corruption in Ukraine and Joe Biden and Joe Biden's son and his involvement in a Ukrainian energy company. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, there's general dirtiness there and the dirtiness involves Ukraine and it involves Democrats and that that's what we should really be talking about. And if the Democrats weren't obsessed with trying to take down Trump through Russia, that is what we would be talking about. So from what you found about how people responded to the Mueller investigation, what do you think that tells us going forward? So the current impeachment inquiry is rooted and grew out of Mueller. There's also really striking sort of parallels. You can see Donald Trump running the same game plan against Congress as he did against Mueller. So, you know, I think he learned a lesson during the Mueller investigation where he cooperated things actually went badly for him. He allowed White House staff to be interviewed by Mueller. He turned over 20,000 pages of internal White House documents to Mueller. And that formed the core of sort of the most politically damaging portion of the report, the whole obstruction investigation. Mueller said that he would not come to a traditional prosecutorial recommendation, but he said he could not exonerate the president of obstruction of justice. And everything he laid out that buttressed that damaging line came from cooperation from the White House, where President Trump did not cooperate. For instance, he refused himself to sit for an interview. He faced no consequence for that. And things went better for him. And I think that the lesson he learned is that you can wait these things out. Do not participate. Undermine them publicly. Undermine them with your base. And ultimately, your opponent will have to sort of leave the field, will sort of give up. I I think that is the lesson he learned from Mueller. And he's employing it now with the impeachment inquiry where he's not allowing his staff to testify at all. He's not turning over any documents. So really what you're saying is that Even though a lot of people think of the Russia investigation and the Ukraine investigation as two separate things, just like there was one chapter and then that first chapter closed and now we're on to this completely different second chapter, that there really are a lot of lessons that can be learned from the Mueller report, even if it wasn't something that ultimately resulted in the impeachment of the president. Yeah, that's exactly right. And one of the things you can see in the Mueller report, especially in the second volume of the Mueller report that outlines how President Trump acted in office, is this really dramatic kind of narrative about what President Trump is like in office, and particularly what he's like when he is faced with a difficult situation or stress or pressure. There's been a lot of sort of argument over Mueller's legal findings, but if you put that aside, it's just an incredible story that's told in the words of the people who worked in the White House who all went before Mueller and testified. So we've actually been working on a project at the Washington Post to kind of retell that story in a way that more people might understand, and it's a, a 
graphic nonfiction is what it's called, uh, basically like a graphic novel of the second volume of the Mueller Report. So that's coming out today in both book form and also in a digital project available online. And so this is theoretically not just 300 pages of wall-to-wall text, but something that is actually a little easier to process in terms of what actually went down. Exactly. It's a pretty vivid retelling. It's got pictures. I mean, it's all pictures. It's like a graphic novel. Uh, But it's very rooted in the report itself. We fact-checked it extremely rigorously. Uh, So it is the story of the first sort of two years of the Trump White House as told by the people who worked for him and spoke under oath to uh, Bob Mueller and his prosecutors. Ross, I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ross Helderman is a political investigations reporter with The Post. You can find a link to the digital version of the Mueller Report Illustrated at postreports.com. The paperback edition is available to order online and in bookstores nationwide. On Tuesday afternoon, the House Intelligence Committee released their report on the impeachment inquiry. They wrote that they, quote, were struck by the fact that the president's misconduct was not an isolated occurrence, nor was it the product of a naive president. They went on to say that President Trump, quote, engaged in an unprecedented campaign of obstruction of this impeachment inquiry. The committee will vote Tuesday evening to forward the report to the House Judiciary Committee, which holds its first impeachment hearing on Wednesday. That's it for this segment of Post Reports. Full episodes of our show come out every weekday afternoon. You can subscribe at postreports.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. Thanks for listening.